Welcome to Cambodia and Curiosity, a series of podcasts discussing anything interesting out of Cambodia, the Kingdom of Wonder. This podcast is aimed at those who might already have a passing knowledge of Cambodia and its fascinating culture. In the last episode, we took a broad sweep across retail in Cambodia. This episode, we're discussing the burden of proof and how sometimes confusion can lead to a strange interpretation of truth. We'll be doing this in the way of discussing two real stories that have happened in the kingdom. Um, A quick disclaimer before we begin. These stories are from a limited number of news sources. And although they are relatively credible news sources in Cambodia, the stories do differ between them. So enjoy the oddity, but please do take it with a pinch of salt. So let's start with our first story. It's 2016, and it was no doubt a humid morning in southern Vietnam when Chia Yu, a construction worker from Cambodia in his 40s, met up with a Vietnamese trader. The meetup resulted in Chia Yu taking a valuable acid used to test the authenticity of gold back to Cambodia to find buyers. He was told that it was worth $400,000 per litre. $400,000, that's pretty expensive. There are very few liquids in existence which cost that much. Um, Apparently LSD is approximately the same, um, but is obviously extremely potent in small doses. And the only others are extremely rare venoms. But imagine imagine just walking about with $400,000 per litre in a a water bottle or or something like that. It's it's like like driving a Bentley at 200 miles an hour down a a road or something. it's quite a quite a responsibility. Especially in Cambodia where there's less rule of law compared to other countries. Yeah. But uh, Chia Yu crossed the bustling border from Vietnam into Cambodia and, as I've just said, apparently carrying the acid in water bottles. So, I guess it seems fairly normal so far. One so- quick question is, if it's an acid that's able to test the authenticity of gold I wonder if they were normal water bottles or were somehow, um, you know, like reinforced plastic or something. Yeah, I don't know. This is just something that one of the news sources stated, so, uh, yeah. It's already sounding a bit dodgy. Suspicious. Mm. Back at home, uh, he used a local moto dup driver as a broker and this is quite funny the moto dup drivers in cambodia and if you don't know what they are uh they're kind of like a local taxi on a motorbike they kind of sit on every street corner and they just seem to know absolutely everyone and and what everyone's doing and i guess it makes sense for a moto dup to be to be a broker but anyway soon enough a group of uh four potential buyers supposedly all gold dealers met up in a shade one afternoon, I think at Chia Yu's house, to take a look at the product, dissolving a metal nail on the table. Um, Suddenly they were ambushed by local police and all five of them, including Chia Yu himself, were arrested. 
It turned out that at least one of the potential buyers was an undercover police officer, and so I assume he was then unarrested. But anyway, news soon came, and this is where it kind of changes up a bit. News soon came that Chia Yu, who bear in mind is just a construction worker in his mid-40s, had been charged for possessing a substance used to produce chemical, nuclear, biological or radioactive weapons. Three others present were charged as his accomplices. Okay, so that's totally unexpected and... Um, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we, we couldn't find a liquid that was used for uh, testing the authentic authenticity of gold at that price. Um, also, um, yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense um, for this to be going on. I wonder if Chi Chia Yu has protective equipment necessary for dealing with a chemical so potent. Well, I'm just thinking, um, just imagine how he's feeling. I'd be quite afraid just suddenly being arrested for, uh, you know, a WMD charge. But yeah, the police believe that what they saw that afternoon was liquid uranium. Okay, this doesn't make any sense at the moment. So, liquid uranium, it apparently melts at 1135 degrees Celsius. So, how is it possible that he had liquid uranium in his home? He probably would have dissolved his own hand, you know, just uh, getting it out of the bottle with the, with the temperature. But And it's also extremely radioactive and would probably subject everyone in the vicinity with a lethal dose of radiation if it was exposed. Potentially, yeah. And also, what was he storing it in? He would have to store it in something which is capable of... Um... Yeah, it was in a water bottle. Yeah, I think that you have to store it in something like lead that <laughs> doesn't allow the radioactive um, decay to pass through it and um, cause cancer in everyone. That's, this is all making no sense. It's not that he was only charged for possessing this. So furthermore, the police believed that it was only a matter of time until this uranium was going to end up in some kind of atomic bomb. In 2018, after more than a year in pre-trial detention for all four men, the trial arrived in court in Phnom Penh, and it wasn't too much fanfare. There's, uh, there's just a couple news articles on this. Um, inside court, the judge was heard asking the suspects, what was the substance? What was your master plan? Where did you want to destroy? Chia Yu was also heard saying that allegations a substance was uranium were news to him. Um, and I really do think there's a chance that he, uh, that this is, this is very much news to him. When the properties of the liquid were discussed in court, it was revealed that it had actually not been tested at all. Apparently, the military did not have the means to test it, and neither did the Cambodian Mine Action Centre when asked. So, I feel that the burden of proof needs to be mentioned at this stage, really. Um, it is usually the duty of the person who asserts this to prove it, and I just feel like the authorities 
aren't really making much of an effort to prove their their assertion. No, I mean, um, I don't know how you tell the difference between liquid uranium and another substance um, without the necessary equipment to test it, unless you go off something like radiation poisoning. But there's clearly doesn't seem to be any um, fallout from the chemical itself. There's no reports of anyone being harmed while it was being demonstrated openly. Exactly. Um, the only other countries in Asia with uranium enrichment facilities are China, India, Japan and Pakistan. Um, and Cambodia isn't the type of country that you'd expect to find uranium or any sort of plan to enrich it. It's not like Iran or North Korea. Um, it really doesn't have uh, much of a military um, compared to its neighbours like Thailand, who also probably wouldn't um, wouldn't have any uranium for military application or otherwise. Um, so it's it's just completely out of the blue how this could end up in the hands of a uh, Cambodian civilian, and also. I would definitely expect more fanfare about uranium um, on the black market. I mean, where's America? Um, you know, if this got into the wrong hands, you could see a dirty bomb in a major city. So there's something definitely not right about not only where it is, but also the government's response to it. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it just seems that uh, if this was a serious incident or a serious case, then it then it might have been a bit more of an international scare than just on a local level. But I must say, because I just realised um, we mentioned that China, India, Japan, and Pakistan um, are the only countries in Asia that can enrich uranium i've just realized as well we should not leave out the wonderful iran and north korea as well we don't want them to feel left out um well you only have to look at america's focus on iran and the political fallout from their attempts to enrich uranium to understand how serious this would be if it was truly uranium being distributed i think they should start focusing on Cambodian construction workers. <laughs> but anyway, in June 2018, the judge made a decision to delay the trial for further investigation. And I think this was uh, kind of, in a way, from a Cambodian perspective, a fairly noble decision. So this shows that he was just not willing to press ahead and convict all four on such groundless allegations but that he needed to somehow um, maintain the honor and the reputation of the departments that were involved in the case but meanwhile we can only assume that Chia Yu and his company were to remain in pre-trial detention and I've tried quite hard and I cannot find any news articles on this story since 2018 so there are two situations we could be in now all four of them are either still in pre-trial detention and it's just being put put on a back burner 
or there was some kind of quiet agreement and they're all just let off. We probably will never know, like uh, like a lot of these uh, stories in Cambodia. But one issue I have is what led to the ambush at his house? Like this was clearly a setup, but who? Who was behind this setup? My guess, my guess is that the mototip driver was a snitch. I think the mototip driver, for some reason, thought this might have been uranium and told the police or something like that. But I just, uh, I can't quite get my head around how and why they got ambushed in the first place. Yeah, I guess we'll never know. So what's the second story? So the second story ties in fairly nicely with the burden of proof that we're talking about. Um, it's about a mass fainting. Um, in the period of time that I've been interested in Cambodia, there have been a number of uh, high-profile mass faintings, mostly back between 2009 to 2012, something like that. Um, and it's it's a kind of it's a strange phenomenon in Cambodia, and it's definitely something that we're going to uh, touch with an entire podcast in the not-so-distant future. But anyway, this was also back in 2011, and we're in Chamkarlu district, which is in Kompong Cham province, just on the Mekong. Um, and it's known for its large rubber plantations, it's that kind of place. Um, it was a hot and sunny early afternoon, as it, as it is every day in Cambodia, and all 136 students at a local high school had been ordered by the director to stand to attention underneath the blazing sun for not showing respect to the Cambodian national flag. Um, having stood under Cambodia's blazing sun myself, in the early afternoon. This is actually pretty solid punishment, in my opinion. Um, the strength of the sun, it really does become intense very quickly. Yeah, I've done the same, and um, if you're out there for, I don't know, if you're out there for a couple of hours, then you are really sunburnt to the point where you will start having potential blisters, all your skin will start peeling, at least having a, a complexion that's not used to such such temperatures. But I think hours is a... I think hours is a... Um, um, I think that's overkill. I mean, I mean, I would say minutes. You can actually feel an effect. Like, I remember... Um, I remember in the early afternoon sometimes I would have a shower, I would wash my hair, and I wouldn't even put a towel to my head at all. And... I'd walk outside and within minutes my hair would be bone dry early afternoon. Bone, bone, bone dry. Um, yeah, the heat is really unlike anything um, in Europe. Yeah, I lived in Australia for a while um, in Perth and I just didn't feel heat like I felt in Cambodia. Not at all. Um, and also, I actually found... Uh, if you were to if you were to walk out in in the sun with no covering over your head let's say for 20 minutes or half an hour the top of your head as in the hair on your head actually becomes quite hot hot to touch 
Um, it's quite, it's quite incredible. It's just, yeah, it's, anyway, it's, it's really bleeding hot. Um, mysteriously, but maybe not so mysteriously after what we've just said, all 136 students suddenly collapsed in the school grounds beneath the Cambodian national flag. I imagine a bit of drama ensued, of course, um, you know, 136 feintees is, uh, I mean, that's quite epic. That's not a simple task. Um, but also, I imagine that a couple of hours after such an event, you know, the parents of the students, the local villagers, and even officials might be questioning the circumstances which, which led to all students collapsing at once. Yeah, I mean, this isn't detention. Um, you know, there's a there's potential for harm. Um, definitely, uh, some of those students could suffer some something like heat stroke from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, they suffered a bit. I don't know what the what the uh, impacts are after after fainting. Probably not that much, is it? It could obviously um, knock people out for you know like they could be out of it for a day or two afterwards because it really is um more than you can handle Hmm. well a day after it seemed that the local officials had reached a consensus on on what happened um and a bit like a lot of the stories that we discuss this is where it all turned a bit weird um started off with a district police chief who stated that according to the hospital's analysis the reason why the students fainted is the huge tree in the school compound and the farmland surrounding the school which absorbed the oxygen this isn't the first time i've heard such a theory um proposed to explain away um whether it's a crime or some other situation i remember that there was a environmental activist who was um where's this this was near phnom penh i think oh okay and they basically were knocked out or no sorry they they died but the explanation was that in this um forest in which they were protesting there wasn't enough oxygen to breathe because the trees had absorbed it all so this is a common, uh, and it, and it also wasn't the last time um, the tree that uh, trees have been used for for taking oxygen away. But uh, the last time I'm thinking of is so sensitive we can't discuss it. But um, yeah, it is. Uh, I remember reading this at the time, and I just remember being so frustrated, you know, almost kind of helpless reading it. Um, but I think it's important with things like this, especially with a completely different culture, not for us not to be too naive. Um, I think if we take it at face value, it's just very frustrating, isn't it? But, but anyway, we will continue. The high school director, um, he said that he said that he did not punish the students and that it was just a rumor um, and most bizarrely I think um, because of the 
the nature of his occupation, the doctor at the local hospital chipped in um, into the story by saying that based on his examination of a students who have come in, the lack of oxygen was due to an abundance of trees which trapped the oxygen adding that the first four or five students fainted because they were standing under the school's large medicinal oil tree. So so they don't understand that trees convert carbon dioxide to oxygen? Well, of course, the first thing that would come up is, you know, photosynthesis. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure... I, I'm, I'm not the sharpest guy scientifically, but... I'm pretty sure that uh, it's actually the opposite. I'm pretty sure that plants and trees give out oxygen and they suck in a CO2. But who am I to comment on this? At least the doctors picked up on something. So obviously the first four or five students fainted because they were stood under the, the large tree. Um, and uh, so they were the first ones to faint. So that's where they're kind of, you know, that's. That's their piece of evidence, or at least it's a piece of evidence that they're deciding to use for their for their theory. But then the district governor also had something to say. Uh, he said that he did not have any plans to, to charge the school director um, because the incident was obviously just caused by nature. So it would be fairly unfair to um, you know to have any repercussion onto the, the director if this was nothing to do with him. The obvious response for anyone um, who's kind of not from Cambodia um, would just be to to look at the scientific side of things. Um, but also, yeah, what what worried me at the time, and I'm looking back, was that um, I remember talking to my friends, and we were concerned that local villagers would believe this and start chopping down trees. Um, just to avoid any further mass faintings or you know and then we and then we suddenly wondered whether this was a ploy by some large uh, you know logging tycoon but anyway but like always there is clearly going to be a story behind this and i think um i think it's safe to say that um um anyone with a decent command of english listening to this can understand uh, what the story behind this is. I think um, let's just say that the school director was probably on a on a fairly friendly level uh, with most other officials in the community, and I think um, he just didn't want to get into trouble. That's my opinion. I think what's most surprising about this story is the explanation, or what I will call the bold-faced lie, um, not being scrutinized effectively um, so I mean it must be an issue of education for it not to be a common response to um, point out the logical fallacy in in the um, explanation for this and I suppose without even rudimentary um, science education, then Cambodians won't be able to challenge um, these types of things. Or even, I suppose it, it talks to the education of those in power as well, because if they're making up a story as ludicrous as this, either they don't know the difference or they are, I don't know, um, 
willing to make such a gross, um, clearly false statement and expect that people will just have to agree with it even if they I, understand. I, I agree with that. I agree mm. with that. I think I think in some places um, like Cambodia, a statement made by an official, it really carries a lot of weight and it is a lot more significant than, uh, than, than most other stuff and it doesn't matter um, whether they had any any expertise go into that statement um, an official statement is an official statement and there's not too much that uh, normal citizens can do to contest that um, and you have to you know you have to be you have to go back to our first podcast when we were talking about um, face and honor and uh, you know you wouldn't really want to start upsetting someone who's got a lot of honor um just on a human to human level even um so yeah i think it's more a real lack of respect for the cambodian public and i think it's more just simply you know there is no uh, there is no burden of proof really at all um if you assert something um, and you have the power to assert it, then that's what it is. That's how it is. It doesn't really matter um, about anything else. Um, but also something I would say um, is, yeah, obviously for some of us, it, you know, it's really hard to wrap our head around a story like this. But I remember at the time of the second story, uh, the mass faintings we've just discussed, I remember talking to uh, Cambodians about this at the, at the time and each Cambodian pretty much said the same thing to me and that is look there's a story behind this you know we're not seeing the whole story here and uh, and that kind of just gave me a little bit of faith that um, they're not being absolutely fooled here it's it's just a strange um, a strange kind of um, pretense. Assertion of power? Is it that, you know, yes. they're, they're just doing it completely brazenly? Yes, brazenly. But we'll leave it for you to, uh, I don't know, there's there's a, a, a lot of things you can take from this on a, a lot of levels, but, um, but yeah, as always, um, these are two uh, complex stories, so um, if anything we say is incorrect, and uh, you know, the burden of proof is on you, um, please just get in touch and we will correct ourselves and give you credit. Um, for these two stories in particular, we are working on a limited number of news articles um, to, uh, to patch up our... our um, recital and uh, yeah we are not investigative journalists but anyway thanks for joining us again and we will see you next time thanks for listening <laughs>